welcome again to uh, this episode of Down to Business. Uh, today we've spent a lot of time trying to get different advisors or people that can help you as a business owner and uh, it's been good, we've had a good series there, hopefully we've got a bit out of it. Um, we're moving on now to people that have actually achieved and, and done a lot in business and can share a bit of secrets with us and understand a bit more about them and uh, I'm pleased to say today I've got Mr Phil Gardner joining us from uh, the West Group and also the Newcastle Knights. Welcome Phil. Morning Andrew, pleased to be here. So I guess Phil, a lot of people around, especially around the hunter community, obviously know who you are, but probably don't understand all your stories. So I might throw it to you to give a bit of an intro about you know how you find yourself uh, into the West Group and been there for you know quite a long time through its success, and a bit more about yourself. Oh, probably unfortunately, Andrew, I trained as an accountant, so I did a <laughs> commerce degree at university, <laughs> and after that finished, I went and got a personality surgically implanted <laughs> into my body, and um, I only worked for a very short period of time as an accountant. I found that. You know, my strength in life was, was managing people, managing businesses. So I very quickly went from that to running my own business and I found myself in clubs um, some time later. And I've been really lucky in Newcastle because I've managed to work across most of the big organisations, most of the big corporate organisations uh, in the town. And I was in Hunter Health for a period of time, finished up chair there. I chaired the Hunter Regional Tourism Organisation. I was on the board of Newcastle Airport for 10 years. I was on the board of NIB when we floated um, the company and I was there for 12 years and I've been with Wes now over 25 years as uh, CEO. And in that period of time I've been lucky because I've been able to work with a whole lot of different companies that cover the whole spectrum of Newcastle and the region. Um, so it's been great for me personally, working with good people has probably been the best thing I've done in my life. Mm. Um, and working in different industries opens you up to different thinking. And you need to get out of your bubble all the time. Because these days you've got to reinvent yourself, you know, at least annually, sometimes every six months. Because the pace of change is so fast now. You know, the digital world's just driving this enormous change in what you're doing. And if you think what you were doing last year or the year before was going to make you successful next year, you're wrong. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, not only your bubble, but the amount of people I see that <clears throat> do the same thing time and time again. And miraculously, whether it's people telling them this or themselves, but think they're going to get a different result. And it's, uh, it's quite ironic that you say that. You know, obviously a broad range of experience there and a lot of key positions that you've been involved with. Um, how big a part is relationships? And, and, then, and as you said, that being able to relate to people helped you um, get ahead in some of those positions or get the jump on other people? Leadership's a really interesting thing. And the best leaders I've ever worked with are all humble. At the end of the day, arrogance is the great killer in relationships, whether it's arrogance from people you're working with or your own arrogance. So if you can be humble and listen more than you talk, you know, you're a big chance to lead people well. Because no one individual you know, in big organisations can really understand what's going on in the depth and the breadth. And you've got to get the best out of people. Mm. And that means you've got to let people do things in a different way to the way you would do them. You know, if you're a micromanager, you can't run big organisations. It's just impossible. You know, you've got to allow people to grow, you've got to be open to change, you've got to be able to listen. You know, and listen is probably the most important and most underrated skill that leaders need. That and humility, because at the end of the day, sometimes there's no reason for good business and there's no reason for bad business. So it will really even you out. And if you've got this arrogance, it becomes very difficult then, in the tough times, to rally people to support you. Yeah, good point. I guess then, you know, you touch on leadership and, and uh, you know, as you said, some of the people you've worked with in leadership and some of the people you've led as a leader, how big a role has mentors played in both your development and what you've seen your team come through with? Oh, tremendously important. In a whole range of things, just not just from a business perspective. 
from a personal perspective, you know, when you're going through the challenges in your life, as we all go through them, with spouses or with children or with whatever mm. else, you need someone to talk to to get some, you know, complete, a complete picture. You get caught up again in that bubble that you, you live in and you just don't see the wood for the trees. So sometimes you need people that can be brutally honest with you, you know, put their arm around and give you a cuddle when you need it. You know, they need to be brutally honest, you know, and I've been very lucky all my life to have Jeff McCloy as being probably one of my best friends and, you know, Jeff's been a great mentor. Jeff's not always right, by the way, but um, he's never actually short of giving you his opinion. So I've had him and a range of other people that have really helped me over the years. I've seeked them out, you know, and I've been very lucky with NIB to have worked with a great group of people, particularly women, that have really changed me as a leader and as a person. Now, before I went to work for NIB, you know, there weren't a lot of female leaders, certainly not in Newcastle. Mm. Uh, going to NIB and the majority of directors there are female. It's probably been the best experience of my working life. They so. certainly opened me up to a whole different way of thinking. Consensus-driven, really talented uh, people. Very sharing, you know, people that um, go out of their way to nurture you and support you and provide you fearless and honest advice. You know, Christine McLaughlin's now one of my closest friends and she's just a fantastic operator. You know, she's currently chair of Suncorp, chair of venues in New South Wales. So I worked with Christine for eight, nine years. Those people, those experiences just change you. You know, they make you more consensus driven. They make you a better listener. Um, and you get a much better view of the world. And certainly if you're working in a male dominated industry and you're surrounding yourself with men, the way you think and the way you approach problems is different than if you've got a majority of female directors. Mm. Um, the way you approach problems, the way you problem solve is is different and it allows you then to have a bigger skill set. But I'll do things in a different way. So, you know, I look at that period of time on the NIB board and just think to me, they gave me a lot more than I got from that than I gave to them. Yeah, sure. Because of that. So, interesting point you just said, uh, a lot of mentors you sort out. Um, I think especially in, you know, what are we in, the millennials or whatever we're in now, but a lot of people are fearful of that, think people don't want to help. I know in my experience, mentors have played a big part in my life and I've, I've never had anyone that didn't want to help. Um, how have you gone about seeking those out? I think that when you, when you walk through life, doors open for you. And so people are there and you, you cross their path. It's very hard to go and approach them cold um, because the people that you want to mentor are people that are really, really busy. You go to places, you do things, you build networks. Those networks pop people out. And in that situation where you develop a relationship with someone, you know. You know people whose opinion you value. You know people who have got the, the culture. You know, mm. lots talked about culture. You know, culture to me is character. And you see people with really good characters, really honest, honourable people that have been really successful in life, but they've done it the right way. You know, they're not stepping over the dead bodies of people to be successful. They're really people that have brought everyone with them. And their success has spread out and made everyone around them successful. They're the people you want to be around. And as you travel through life and as you work in different organisations, those people will pop out and you'll build relationships with them. And it becomes, mentorship becomes a friendship. And what you end up with are all this network of friendships. Mm. And it's two-way. If a mentor is going to do something for you, there'll be something that you will do for them. It always works that way because no relationship, whether it's our wife or our children, can be one way. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be give and take. So I guess uh, probably leads me then more into your current role or roles. Um, firstly, how are the Knights going to go this year? <laughs> well, you know, we expect to be playing football in September. Um, the great thing about rugby league, which is different to any other business or any professional sport, is every weekend you get your AGM. Every weekend you've got to get up before your stakeholders and you've got to tell them how you're going and you get, you get 
performance checked. Yeah. So Thank it's about winning. It's about winning. You know, that's the game. It's the game we're in. Um, for us here in Newcastle, and particularly for us in the West Group, gives us a chance to fight on the biggest stage. You know, we're out there competing against Russell Crowe, Jimmy Pagger, you know, Politis, the Jerry Ryans of the world, Matty Tripp. You know, this is the top of our business people in Australia. They're passionate, they're committed. So we've got the chance to do something in Newcastle that can be really special mm. if we can get there. You know, we want to be a side that's going to be top four every year, or at least be trying for top four every year. And in that period of time, somewhere a premiership will come. But we want to be right up the top. We want to be seen as being a leader in professional sport. We think that's good for our region. Uh, we think it's good for our people. Our passion in northern New South Wales is really strong. We think that's the best thing we can do for our community. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. I mean, it's, 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 I think the last couple of years, really since West have been involved, you've seen that change of professionalism. And uh, I guess as much as you know, you might, the results might be where you want to, the consistency's been there, which I think is a good trait when you start looking at what you've done within business and the West Group itself. So a uh, good segue into your role within, within West. Now, you know, a lot of people from the outside once ask the CEO sits at the top, etc. But maybe, you know, tell me a bit more about, or tell our viewers a bit more about that role, what's required. And as you said, there's a lot of people management, but there's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure in there as well. Yeah, well, these days, good businesses are based on scale, scope, learning, and network effect. Um, what we've attempted to do with the West Group is to build a big network. So we've got 130-odd thousand members, we've got 30,000 members of the Knights. Now, that gives us a big network effect across the region. So as we've bought other clubs and built the business, we've created scale. So we've got a, you know, for a hospitality business, we're the largest registered club business in the world. Uh, we're certainly the largest hospitality business in the state after Star City. So we've got scale. You know, we've got scope now because we're across all these different businesses. Mm. And there's no other organisation quite like us because we do our own F&B, we do our own gaming, we do our own hotel management, we do our own gymnasium business, we do our own membership. Uh, we have Salesforce in the business, they're collecting our own data, we have the Knights and we have this digital business that we're driving. So we're an organisation with 1,200 odd staff and learning's a big part of what we actually do. So the key elements of what builds great businesses are all there, scale, scope, learning, and the network effect. And the greatest example of that effect, of course, is Facebook. Mm. So we see that traditional word of mouth is now dead. We need to be part of the new word of mouth, which is Facebook, Instagram, and those things. And the digital part of the business is reinventing us all the time. It's a great challenge because of the disruption, but it's a great opportunity. And people tend to think always in terms of threats rather than opportunity. And for us, we think the digital revolution gives us an enormous opportunity because we've got the bricks and mortar right. That's what people want to come. You know, our traditional businesses are probably too big. We need to squeeze them up. <coughs> That's been the biggest change that we've seen. But we need to be at the forefront of what's happening with people's recreation. The way they want to recreate, what's driving them out of home has changed you know, mm. dramatically and it's changing all the time. If we've got a really engaged digital business, you know, it's got the scale, we've got the capacity to be flexible, to change, give people what they actually want. So where everyone else is worried about the impact of Airbnb, uh, menu log, uh, the digital deliveries that are eating away at your business, we see that as an opportunity rather than a threat. So business has never changed. Business is the same. Increase your revenue, reduce your cost. Yep. You know, there's nothing else in business. That's it. There's no magic bullet. There's no other thing. So whatever you do, look at how you can do that with scale, scope, learning, and the network effect. That's a modern business. So we think we're at the forefront of all of that. We're investing a lot of money to make sure that you know, we're a digitally enhanced business 
And the old traditional way of building a business on silos, that's dead. We've got one team, we run everything together, so all the learnings come through. That way we can get the scope um, benefits and the network benefits to it. Uh, we see that opportunity in the future as being huge. We've built a base of a business that on, the, on the back of property. So over the years we've bought and taken over a lot of clubs. Each one of those clubs had large land holdings. So separate to the core business, we have over $150 million worth of land assets. Yeah, okay. That gives us an opportunity to build separate businesses. Again, brings our scope out. So we can now build over 55s, we can build apartments, we can go under retirement living, which is a direct connection to where we are, but it's a diversification, increases the scope. And with the digital network effect, it gives us an opportunity to drive revenue out of those that probably other organisations don't have. So we're always looking at how do you take the core and build the core without giving the core away. Because people come to us because they want the cheapest beer, the cheapest meals, uh, the warmest service and the hottest machines. Mm. So we'll never let that core business go. But for us to thrive in a digital economy, we have to be at the forefront of change. Understand change, you know, we've got to be talking to our members. And it's easier these days to have a conversation with your members than it's ever been because they're happy to have a digital conversation with us. You know, our open rates on our emails are 50%. One in two gets open. There's no one, not Apple, no one has that sort of open rate. You know, our net promoter score is 78. You know, NIB, I think they're about seven. Yeah. You know, the NRL itself's minus two. We're at 78. So we've got this wonderful relationship with the members, as long as we don't cock it up. Mm. Uh, and they want to talk to us, and they're happy to, you know, consume the products that we want to sell in that boundary of things they see appropriate for us. So that's where we need to go. That's the great opportunity. Um, the issue for us is we have 127,000 members and 30,000 Knights members, so how do I grow that? So we actually have to build a business so we're relevant from Gosford to the Queensland border. Yeah. So that's stage one. And somewhere probably beyond my time, hopefully it's like Barcelona, where you become relevant around the world. And that's not an unrealistic um, goal for the organisation to have. Because rugby league is this unique sport, and you can have fans anywhere in the world. You know, and if we can end up somewhere down the track having 20 million or 30 million fans who are prepared to pay you, you know, $5 a month to be a member, uh, it becomes a great business. Well, as you see, you see kids walking around here, we, you know, overseas, whether it be basketball, NFL, soccer, you know, merchandise on, it's the same sort of concept. But... Well, Ronaldo has 200 million followers by himself. Mm. The most followed male athlete in Australia now is Kalen Ponga. Kalen's got 100,000 TikTok followers, which he got in four weeks. Um, rugby league has this huge potential. Unfortunately, with rugby league, it hasn't been run well, ever. Um, whether we can make a difference to that, then only time will tell. But now there's some very rich, very powerful, very committed people involved in the game. I think the future of the game is really strong. Mm. Really, really strong. As a niche sport. You know, it'll never be a soccer, it'll never be an NFL. But it can be a really strong niche sport. Mm. The 10 years before we took over the Knights, they lost $50 million. We made 1.1 million the first year, we made 900,000 the second year, we'll make a profit every year. Now, that's just by going back to core business, running the place well, getting the revenue up, getting your expenses down. So, these are good businesses. And making the experience of the people that are, as you said, known different to your clubs when people come to visit there, it's the same as the footy. Well, we're asked the question all the time, who owns the Knights? The fans own the Knights. And we're caretakers of the brain. So for us, again, it's about being humble. You know, you've got to remember who owns the place. What, what are we doing this for? You know, we're doing it for the fans. That's what it's about. And it becomes a virtuous circle. As long as you make sure the people at the top don't forget who they actually work for, then you're a chance. I think the banks have forgotten that. 
Mm. <coughs> Certainly the board of directors have forgotten who they work for. You know, they think they work for the institutions, they think they work for the, primarily for the shareholders. They're working for the community. They're working for those people that are putting their money in the bank every day. You know, we work for everyone that's a fan, not just those that turn up to the game, but every person that's a fan of the club, wherever they live in the world. That's what we're doing. So hopefully, you know, we get a club that everyone can respect. You know, we want the Knights, even if you're not a rugby league fan, we want everyone to respect the Knights. You know, they're a good club, they're good people. You know, they well, as you said, you're going wider, but, you know, I'm not from Newcastle originally, and, and, and I think my I first feel sorry years, for you, Andrew. <laughs> my first few years here, I've got... Uh, you know, heard about this or when the Knights are winning. Unfortunately, we weren't winning for a while. And, <laughs> and last year, you know, for instance, where you went on that run, you can see the town actually lift. It, it, it physically, you can see it and feel it when, when the Knights are winning. So I, I do uh, implore what you're doing and agree that it is very uh, important for, you know, a town like Newcastle, but even the wider communities would be uh, benefit from it. I had animal passions. You need them in business, you need them in professional life, and you need them in sport. So I want to pick up on that point you just said about, you know, a key one, I think, for anyone watching about learning, you know, and, and making sure whatever you do, you learn from. How does your team, and whether that be your close team or your wider team, what's some of the things you do to make sure you learn from uh, the, the events that happen? Well, it starts with caring. You've got to care about people, care about people's futures. There's a lot of businesses that don't care about the transition of their staff in their career. So even at the base level, you know, you've got to give people good, good training, good learning as they go through. And we learn both in a, a formal sense in yeah. which we do that, but you also learn from each other. So you want to make sure that the role models in the business are doing the right thing and you're promoting people for the right reasons. That all builds a learning culture you know, within the business. You want to make sure people have a career path. So you want to support them. Even if that career path is not within your own organisation, if it can be externally, that's a good thing. We love to see people leave us to improve. I hate to see people leave us so they're going backwards. So that whole learning environment is really important for people. And it gives them a sense of self-worth as well. But we're always investing in people to make the experience better. If we have staff that don't want to come to work, how can they be of service to others? You know, if they can't smile on their way to work, how do I expect them to turn around when they get to work and suddenly smile and be nice to customers? So we've got to try and create an environment for people where they like coming to work and they enjoy the interaction with people that are coming in to be served. Because that's what people come to us. At the end of the day, the most important thing is warm service. Yeah. You don't go someplace where people growl at you. Yeah, that's a good point. So I guess those learnings, and as you said, sticking a core business has been a key success for, for the West Group. What else is, uh, I guess, seeing the success in your time at, at, with West, or even other roles for that matter, but um, some of the key things to your uh, insight into what makes businesses great, you know, you've said the warm service, you said sticking to your core, you said, you know, understand your market and what they want. Um, any other tips? Because West weren't always the size of what they are now, okay? Uh, you've obviously seen some um, great things happen. You've obviously seen things that haven't worked. Yeah, well, I think we go back to learning, don't we? Good organisations learn. There's been a huge number of clubs go broke, a huge number of pubs go broke, because they continue to do the same thing without learning. So they're seeing their sales, their beverage sales in particular decline. So they keep trying to actually drive the beverage sales rather than move into the food side of the business that's driving visitation. Um, and then they end up competing on the wrong areas. The organisation's not actually learning. You learn through interacting with your customers, doing your research, knowing what's going on, and then you actually try a whole lot of small bets. And you follow the golden thread. The things that work, you follow. But if you're not always trying something new, 
you're stuck in that paradigm of where you've always been. Mm. So we're always throwing new opportunities out there, whether it's in the fitness business or whether it's in the food business, the beverage business, accommodation, we're always trying something new. That's why we bought the Anchorage. You know, we saw that we were tied into the corporate market in Newcastle. The Anchorage is a, um, a resort market for us and it's been incredibly successful for us. Um, it's certainly, I think now, as good a resort as there is in the country. And our numbers are through the roof. We paid $9 million for it. We were offered $35 million for it before Christmas. Mm. That's a, a mark of where it's gone mm. in that uh, six year period of time. So, and that's a completely different business for us. So we've absorbed that business and we see that as a big part of our future as well. But the organization learnt, you know, we saw what was going on. We saw what we needed to do. We saw the change. It's, you know, why we went to Port Stewart and took on the RSL, you know, because we needed that diversification. We're doing the same thing now, looking at Port Macquarie and the Central Coast to try and develop that gossip of the Queensland border. And these will be different models. These won't be the traditional model of clubs because the auditoriums don't work anymore at clubs. Mm. Um, the market's completely different. What people want from recreation is changed. And it'll change again in six months time. It'll change again after that. So we need to be flexible and nimble. So an organisation that's always communicating and talking to its members, it's always learning. You take those learnings and you look for the opportunity to commercialise them or just do what the members want. You follow the one that works out of the five that you've tried and you forget about the four that failed. And we never talk about the four that failed, we talk about the ones that worked. But there's nobody that's been successful who's not having a regular failure. It's just impossible. Mm. And you've got to make sure your staff understand that too because it's, you know, it's good to fail because you've had a go. We've tried so many Providing you get the learnings out of it, as you said. Providing you get the learnings out of it. Thanks for that. Um, I guess, talk a bit more personally, your role in that. What are some of the habits that you implement, whether it be day to day, week to week, month to month, whatever it may be, to ensure that you keep being the best position to drive that team uh, and that organisation and, and to remain successful? Well, you need to learn yourself. You know, the point you made earlier about mentors, you need to have people around you that are doing different things. Uh, if you can work in other industries, that's really good. Um, and certainly for the first time in my working life, I don't have another job. I've only got two jobs. And I have not had less than three jobs since I was 15. Um, so I'm feeling a little bit um, that I need to get some other learning out there um, currently. So I think you've always got to be learning yourself. You've always got to be inquisitive. You've always got to be mildly discontented. The moment you become contented in life, you really stop pushing. Mm. So regardless of how successful you are, you need to feel this mild discontent all the time to push people. So it starts with yourself, starts with your learning, but also starts with your disciplines. You turn up on time, you listen to people, you get people in, you communicate as much as you possibly can. Though it's really hard, that part's really hard to give all that time to people, but you need to. Um, you need to be really well managed and you need to get people around you being really well managed. You know, and certainly my two years now with the Knights, the successful football clubs where the head coaches is the best disciplined and the best managed. There's no doubt about that. The really successful guys, first one's in, last one's out, but they're driving a discipline mm. right through the whole club. They're there on time, you know, they give people respect, they're listeners. Um, the ones that aren't successful, the ones that turn up like carrying their shoes, and there's a big difference between the three or four at the top and the rest of the people in coaching and administration yeah, and professional sure. sport. Okay. <coughs> so, you know, with that in mind, I've gone through some great stuff already, but, um, if there is other advice, what is the best advice you've been given or could provide to a business owner? I think the thing that I live my life by is I hold my views really, really strongly, but loosely. 
the moment I see something better, I'm off. Mm. I'll sit around and I'll argue with my team about what we should do. But the moment I see something better, I forget what I just thought five minutes ago. I'm following that. Yeah, sure. So this is the most important thing you can do. Be passionate, you know, and really, you know, belief. But the moment you see a better way to do it, you've got to adopt it. Because what happens is the bloke at the top gets really fixated. The business is done. You know, you're over. Because you can't accept failure. So you'll keep doing the same thing again because you can't be wrong. I'm so smart. I can't be wrong. And you just run the business into the ground. You see it all the time. You know, you've got to be able to say, well, okay, I was wrong about that. You know, I'll let that go. I'll let that belief go. I'll go and do something else. Particularly in the fourth industrial revolution, you need to be able to be flexible and nimble. Mm. <coughs> so talk to as many people as you can. Listen to your own team as much as you possibly can. You know, argue for and against things, even if you don't believe it, to get to the right result. And then when you get there, you embrace that new idea. You know, that's the most important thing. And you get people within your own organisation that have power within their silos. So they even, you know, they don't even know what their biases are, but they'll argue from that bias because they want to keep their power in the silo. You know, you've got to try and break all the silos down now in business. You've got to get that, that network effect right across your own business first. You know, you've got these people that've got all these skills. Make sure you're listening to them. Then you've got all these customers that've got all their skills as well. And for us, you know, with 130,000 members and 30,000 nights, we, we have lots of good people out there who are really happy to give us their advice all the time, sometimes too often. But they're a resource. You know, it's a way the business can actually learn. You've got to be open to that, as hard as that is at times. You know, I can't walk through the supermarket and not get a whole lot of advice. But it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you, and you're obviously part of that communication process. If you didn't take it on, it could hurt you otherwise. Well, it does. And I think everything we do, you know, signaling theory, everything we do in life signals something. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, what we do at home signals your, your wife and your children. What you do at work signals the rest of that, of your staff. And it's also signaling your members and what we do in the night signals the whole community. <clears throat> so we need to be really careful of the signals we send. And if we believe we want to be a respected organisation, we've got to treat other people with respect. You know, so if we think we're a humble organisation, then you, you've got to show that. So that signalling theory is really important to us in our business. And I talk to my staff about it all the time. You know, you've got to walk the walk, not just talk it. But you're sending out signals all the time. The staff are watching you. You walk past a step over a piece of paper, and if you walk out and you know leave that dirty toilet, that's a signal to the staff. Mm. If it's not good enough for you to fix it, then why is it good enough for them to fix it? So the signals we send in business are vital. The signals we send as a human being to other people are vital. And we need to be really aware of that. And we need to be aware of the impact of those on other people. And with the Knights, it's really important for us because we're a business that's all about signaling. Everything we do sends a signal. Every weekend, if we're tough on the field, we're sending a signal. You know, if we give in, we send a signal. And that's what we get pilloried for, praised for. And in business, it's exactly the same. You know, the way you behave in your business sends a signal to all your staff. And if you're different with your staff to your customers, <coughs> that's a really big signal because you're a hypocrite. Mm. And the moment your staff brand you as a hypocrite, you're done. You're you are done. Because what they'll do, they'll become hypocrites themselves. And that's the real challenge. And you've got to have an organisation then that can weed those people out. It's that whole mirroring mentality. Yeah. It is. But, you know, signalling such a, you know, a powerful thing that people don't think enough about because it's what really drives your business. Those behaviours are what drives your business. They talk about culture a lot. Culture's just signalling. You know, the head coach sends a signal about the behaviours he'll accept. That's a signal to the rest of the team. If you want to play for us, this is what you've got to be. Right down to under 14s. If you want to be a knight, this is the sort of person you've got to be. 
this is how tough you've got to be, this is what you've got to actually do. This organisation, the Knights in particular, over the years have failed because their signals have been so poor. You know, and I go right back even to the Halcyon days. You know, the behaviours of those people was something you'd not accept. If they'd fixed that then, if the owners of the Knights had fixed it then, the Knights would have been a powerhouse. We'd never been in a situation we were mm. in that period of time. So you've got to be strong. And it's very hard to be strong with your stars, whether it's your star in business or it's your star in football. But you have to be. They're exhibiting behaviours and they're sending the wrong signals to the kids coming through. You've got to get rid of them. I don't care who they are. I don't care if they're an immortal. They've got to go. Mm. Because it's so important. That's how you build a great club. The moment that culture's gone in your business, and that could be your best salesperson, you know, the person that's driving the most part of your business. If there's someone that's bullying or harassing or involved in behaviours you don't want to be part of, you have to deal with it. Or you're condoning it. You are. Mm. Mate, it's a great point. I guess um, probably one more thing on the business for I ask you a couple of things, a bit more about yourself, but um, how important uh, does taking advice, not just within your team, but how, how do you rely on external advice for different disciplines? I mean, a lot of the stuff we've done in, in this series prior to now has been interviewing people like marketing or IT or whatever. How's that play a role for you guys? Well, I, you, you go back to humility. You know, if you're full of hubris, you think no one's smarter than you, you think you know it all. I don't make any decisions without checking with a range of people. You know, I go to my accountant for advice, I go to my lawyers for advice, I go to Clubs New South Wales for advice. I want to do this. So there are any compliance or entry issues that I might have in this. And I can assure you in our industry, we've got a mile of them uh, to jump over. So you've got to be really careful. So when you come to those decisions, you then sanity check yourself. So you've come to this great decision, you've had this brainwave, you think you're going to change the world, everything's going to work well. That's the time when you really need to double check. You know, are there compliance issues? Am I breaking a regulation by doing this? Uh, what's the long-term impact on the business? You know, if I end up doing schooners for $4, what's the long-term impact on that on the business? And not just the short-term impact, bringing a lot of people in. Do I displace all my other customers out of the car parks? You know, those sort of you know, important things need to be checked. So you need to check them with everybody. So you know, we now have this virtuous circle, you know, we call it, where the decision-making's got to be checked off by legals, by accounting, by compliance, to make sure we're right, see if there's anything we haven't thought of. Because in Australia in particular, we're grossly over-regulated and grossly over-governed. And now we have this situation with the whistleblower legislation, the anti-slavery legislation, the anti-money laundering legislation that we all have to comply with, um, the privacy legislation. You've simply got to check all of that um, before you go down. And I had an investigation this week where I got one anonymous complaint. And uh, we've been exonerated from it, but it can take a lot of time and effort. Yeah. You know, when the department comes up or APRA turns up or ASIC turns up, because now anyone can complain anonymously about anyone for any reason. And you've got to then provide all the information. It's expensive uh, in business. Distracts your people from what they've got to do. So you need to have really good advisors around you. And the smaller the organisation is, the more you need advisors. Um, the bigger the organisation is, you might have a buffer, you know, to be able to make some mistakes. But the smaller you become, you've really got to get out there and make sure yeah. you're right. Make sure you've got a plan and, and, and time. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you've got to have a checklist effectively, you know. And, I do checklists every day. Every day I start work, I work out what's the most important thing I've got to do to the least important thing I've got to do. And always at the top regulations, mm. you know, it's compliance. Because I know the impact of when someone turns up with a complaint and you've got to then pull all of one out to try and you know, provide the information to Liquor and Gaming or ASIC or APRA or the anti-money laundering people turn up, um, counter-terrorism people turn up and they're in your business for a week and all your staff are doing that rather than 
what you want them to do, mm, service your point. customers. Um, probably a final couple of things, uh, more for yourself. You've got um, a lot on your plate. You know, it's evident just by our conversation here, let alone what, what I also know about you. But um, how do you balance your time, especially not just from a business point of view, but you mentioned family a lot. You know, uh, you, you know, you've got social stuff. You've got a passion not just to be involved in nights, but to actually watch the nights. How do you manage that time, and how do you stay accountable to those other people in your life? That's the hardest part <laughs> of life. Did you have an answer to that, Andrew? Um, I, I think all the things that you do well in business, if you can transfer those into your private life, and it's about listening. So about listening to your family. You know, you, you've got to prioritise them with the time you've got. So and you listen to them. You know, what do they want to do? What's important to them? Um, for instance, you know, I stopped playing golf some ten years ago because it took me away all Sunday. Um, I used to play um, golf in the morning and, and comp tennis in the afternoon. So then I'd go to work. Um, that caused a lot of problems uh, in my life. I've learned from that. So now I'm prioritising on weekends when I've got the time, the family. So I listen to them. What do they want to do? So I do that first. Um, certainly we focus around holidays so that when we do go away, everyone's really happy uh, with what they're doing. So listening is equally as important at home as it is at work. Signalling at home is equally as important as it is at work. Loading the dishwasher, unloading the dishwasher, all the little things are really important. And if my wife's going to watch this, I could be in lots of trouble. But it is, you know, that's part and parcel of what you've got to do. So a good rounded life is no different to a good rounded life at work. What people do is they become selfish. Work dominates everything and they forget that when you go home, it's a business as well. You're in a partnership with someone, with your family, with your friends, with your partner, whoever that is. So you've got to transfer all that stuff, that respect, that love, that attention, that listening, the humbleness, the compassion, and take it home with you. Mm. Really, really hard. And it's hard, particularly for us, not to be selfish. Um, that's the big thing. You know, what, what can I do you know, that I like to do that you know, doesn't impact? So if you want to go surfing, do it early in the morning. You know, what you do, get up and go for a run on the beach early, those things. You know, listen, it's the most important thing. But you know, when you've got that, it's not about the hours, it's about the quality. So you make sure the time you've got is quality time with people. Uh, and I think everyone that I've spoken to, every mentor I've ever had, who have been much, much busier than me, that's what they've always said. You make sure the time you've got is quality time rather than just time. Because time creates arguments because mm. you, if you're not actually having quality time, that's worse than having no time. Yeah, great point. Last couple of things, what are you most proud of? Wow, I'm proud of so many things in my life uh, and people, mostly people, to be honest, I'm proud of obviously my family. Um, probably proudest of my wife, to be honest, what she's achieved uh, in her life. I'm, I'm in awe of um, working mothers that build businesses. I just think that that's just such the hardest thing. And I've been so lucky to have worked with so many great female leaders now. I can see how difficult it is for them. So it becomes a really humbling experience. Um, to get there, to be successful as a female leader is really hard, really, really hard. And they've got to balance it all up and their expectations are so high, you know, to be a successful businesswoman, to own a business, uh, to be a wife, to be a mother, that's, that's the hardest gig there is. Couldn't so that's more. the thing I'm probably most proud of. You know, in business, I'm really proud that we've built this incredible business in Newcastle. You know, we're the largest registered club group in the world, but done it out in Newcastle. You know, that's really hard. Regional markets are tough. And I go to Sydney and our friends in Sydney and Melbourne have a tendency to sneer at their regional cousins. Mm. So I, I, I really take a great deal of pride in that. Throw it back at him a bit. 
much as I possibly can. And when we win the competition, don't worry, we'll be rubbing their noses in it. Final point, the contra to that, what's your, your hardest lesson, but one of the most powerful lessons you've had? Oh, I think it all goes back to arrogance. You know, I think there was a period of time in my life that I got very full of myself, got really, really arrogant. And eventually that brings you down, you know, it really. And what you end up doing is you poison your relationships, you poison your family relationships and you poison your work relationships. I think it's always important to surround yourself with really successful people because you can see that you're not that important. We get caught up in the bubble and we think we're really, really important in this little bubble. And arrogance comes out of that. That's been my biggest mistake. Um, and certainly, I think, I think I've learned that, you know, it's a tendency, success toward drives you that way. And a lot of people will tell you a lot of things because they think that, you know, there's an opportunity for them to benefit. So a lot of people blow smoke. Mm. Um, you've really got to have to be grounded, you know. At the end of the day, you know, if I'm not running the West and not running the Knights and I'm walking down the street, is anybody going to stop and talk to me? The answer is no. So you've got to really understand where that sits. And at the end of the day, we're sitting in that deathbed, you know, there'll be the wife and the kids, that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. There'll be nobody else. So that's been the biggest challenge, you know, for me. Um, overconfidence is probably the thing that I've suffered from the most, and it's caused me to do some things that I probably shouldn't have done. <coughs> Mate, that's great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing. We could talk all day. Obviously, uh, we haven't gone all day, but uh, you know, just to summarize, some of the, there's a lot in that brief conversation then, but some of the key things that I really took out of that is the power of listening. Uh, I think that's that's um, a wonderful message, and, and not only listening, but but learning. Uh, as you said, mentors play a key part, and, and also what you do with other people play a key part. Getting out of your bubble, you know, really good point for for business owners, and making sure that you surround yourself with people that that can assist. Um, and, and and as you said, not only listening, but learning from your mistakes. Um, there's a hell of a lot more that we will try to summarize at some point out of this conversation, but. Phil, I just thank you for uh, sharing your time, being being so uh, open and, and honest with people. I'm sure that a lot of people can get out of that uh, discussion or apply to their own business. So thanks, mate. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, thanks again for another Down to Business.